0: of thermal imaging in the fire service this year 2023 is the 10th anniversary of the release of their k-series thermal imaging cameras back in 2013 the k-series was launched to specifically target firefighters and making their job more effective and efficient by using thermal imaging technology 10 years later they're bringing so much more to the table with a multitude of cameras that help you on the situational or tactical decision making they make a camera for every position on the fireground. check out teledyne FLIR; they bring so much to the table in the world of thermal imaging and at fdic this year 2023 you can find them in booth 443 with teledyne gas and flame as well as you can find them in their partners booths 1201 with team 3457 with Darley. And of course, you can find them at the Whitmer Fire Store, 110 and 111. Look for Teledyne FLIR this year at FDIC 2023. Ask them to show you the product and talk about thermal imaging because it is the technology that pushes the firefighters forward. Anyway, Teledyne FLIR, a great sponsor and a part of the National Fire Radio platform. This episode is brought to you by the 2448 podcast. If you're a first responder with an entrepreneurial streak, check out the 2448 podcast hosted by Sam Massa, who built lighting company, Hi-Viz LEDs. During his off time, he serves as a volunteer firefighter and professional EMT. Each week we tell the stories of different first responder owned businesses from small startups to food trucks, to companies like National Fire Radio and Fire Department Coffee. Available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go to the2448.com for more information. That's www.the2448.com for more information about this killer podcast. And if you're coming to FDIC this year, Join us in booth 13073, right by the entrance in the main hallway where National Fire Radio, yes, us, in conjunction with the 2448 podcast, will be teamed up for live shows throughout the duration of FDIC. It's going to be a killer week out in Indy. Join us at booth 13073, right in the main hallway, where you come right into the convention center. We're going to be right there live broadcasting throughout the week. Come see us. Guys, thanks for checking it out. Check out the 2448 podcast. And now, without further ado, the daily episode.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? This is episode 15 of The Size Up by National Fire Radio. Thanks for tuning in. It is just an absolute beautiful day here in good old scenic New Jersey as I'm looking out the window in my, like, makeshift office, podcast studio, whatever you want to call this part of my house that I'm in. Um, and I'm I'm super stoked to finally, and I when I mean finally, and w- once I introduce him, I'm going to see if he can remember when we actually met and have talked about collaborating on a project. Uh, that's pretty much about how long ago this has been. But without further ado, it's, it's my online friend, because as you guys know, I meet a lot of people online and rarely get to meet them in person. And we talk about it and someday we're going to do this but my good friend from the not-for-profit Food on the Stove and the Washington, D.C. Fire and EMS Department, Jonathan T. Jonathan, Pip. finally.
2: Pip. Finally, right? Thank finally. you for having me. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you for, this has been long overdue, so.
1: Right, where I are we at here? You. Like four years of trying to collaborate on anything?
2: Yeah, I was actually just starting Food on the Stove when we were talking, so uh, I had just started, you know, going around the firehouses and stuff like that, so. Yeah, it's, it's been a minute, about four years.
1: Was it four years? When when did you start Food on the Stove? We're going to talk way more about Food on the Stove, more about Jonathan. But when when did you start it now that we're on this road?
2: Started it five years ago. So okay. we're coming up on our sixth year. So it about, yeah, six years. So six years of serving those who serve us.
1: And it's even better. You know, you survived that year that we just referred to as 2020. So surviving through that was, was huge, I'm sure.
2: Man, actually, to be honest with you, we grew. Uh, yeah. substantially during that time because you know as we serve firefighters they were the ones working on the front lines. so uh we had to step our game up so it was a, actually a blessing for us to be in a position to be able to help those working on the front lines at the time
1: you know i think when we think back of 2020 and, and the pandemic you know there's there's so much negative you could always bring up but there's also so much positive where I just heard someone saying last night, and I don't know what it was on that we were watching it. Oh, we were watching. So my sons are uh, are into surfing. And there's this great documentary called The 100-Foot Wave um, about surfing a 100-foot wave, literally, in uh, Nazaré, Portugal. And they just released their second season of it. And they had talked about their own personal growth during the pandemic and the lockdown. And I think it's great to hear your positivity for that because you are out there serving you know, those that serve. And we definitely needed it. I know I had a lot of, uh, we didn't have food on the stove meals, but we got a lot of drop-offs from a lot of different companies. Some were not as healthy as others during the pandemic.
2: And, and look, rightfully so, because at the, at that moment, even while we were doing it, Our most important thing wasn't uh, health and wellness. That wasn't the priority. It was meeting the immediate need, which was serving firefighters. You know, grocery stores put limitations on the amount of food you can buy because people were hoarding food. So our goal was just to make sure that uh, firefighters were able and EMS personnel were able to have a full course meal while they were out there serving on the front lines. You can't feed a firehouse of 15 on two packs of chicken. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's totally you're gonna, ang- you're gonna have some angry people. I don't um, think you
1: could feed a firehouse of four on two packs of chicken just to just right. to throw that one up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's the thing. That's what we're trying to teach them, portion control. But at that moment, at, during the pandemic, portion control didn't matter. We just wanted them um, you know, comfortable out there as they serve the public.
1: Yeah, that that was a as comfortable thing. as they could be. And, and I think, too, with, with food and the fire service, and, and again, we didn't even get into your story or what you're doing, but we're just talking, so that's cool. But with food and the fire service, food is, is comfort, right? Food makes us feel good, um, it, it, not just in the fire service, in life. And that thing that you brought up, that portion control, because doing what I've always done with the fitness end, I mean, I avoid nutrition. Everyone knows that. I try not to talk about that. But I think portion control is really key in what you're eating. You know, that first plate, it needs to be hardy. The second plate though, we run into problems, right?
2: Right, right. Sometimes that second plate isn't even needed. I kind of liken it to when you go out to um, a restaurant, you don't order seconds because you know it's gonna cost you something. It's gonna cost right? you more. And it's gonna cost you more. And it's the same thing, whether you're at home or in the firehouse, that meal may not cost you money per se but it's going to cost you something whether that's the extra added calories hypertension diabetes things of that nature so sometimes uh, it's not so much the food that we eat sometimes it's just how much of it that we're eating um yeah so but that that like- can be an issue
1: I feel like I feel like we almost have to be like, listen, if you're going for a second plate, that's another that's another $10 on top of your 10 for the kitty that you put in already.
2: You're Might going to think maybe. about it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it, may, it. May make you think about it. Or I may get punched in the face. I mean, it's, it's one or <laughs> the other. like, but that cost, you know, so so here let's let's go. Let's jump back. But I love that you just said that about that second plate and the the true cost of it right not the monetary cost but all the other things so let's jump back in your life and you just fill everybody in on on your start in the fire service what brought you that way because you have a little unique story unique um where we're, a lot of us are second generation firefighters but i know your father played a humongous role in your life so can we talk about that for a little bit here
2: indeed indeed so i'm a, a native washingtonian um i grew up in Washington, D.C., Northeast Washington, D.C., War Five, um, in the 80s. So if anybody remembers D.C. that at the time, it was uh, a lot going on. It was uh, recognized across the country as Chocolate City, meaning that it was probably more black people here than any other place in uh, the country. Um, high population of African-Americans. Uh, but also we had a drug epidemic. Uh, it was also known as the murder capital as we were coming up, crack. Uh, was very accessible all throughout our communities. Um, And my father was present, very present in my life, not just present, but but in our own household. And that was something that you didn't find too much with a lot of my friends, particularly, or even younger African-American men in D.C. Um, Families were kind of split up whether for for numerous reasons, but my father was always there, right? And um he was able to provide for my brother and I. So I grew up a lot more fortunate than a lot of my friends coming up because my father was in the fire department. Now if you, you think about it, there weren't many opportunities for African-American men in terms of career choices at that time. My father used to always say either you're going to be a firefighter, police officer, or a postal worker. But in, in terms of career choice, if you weren't going to college, there weren't a lot of opportunities out there for you. So if, if I'm honest and just speaking transparent, my father, my, my father was, uh, in our community, seen as a very wealthy man because he was able to ascend to the rank of deputy fire chief in D.C. Fine EMS, and like I said, it offered my brother and I a lot of things growing up, whether it was tennis shoes, clothes, things that our, our peers may not have had. So the, the thought was that my father was a drug dealer because... That was uh, what most... You had, Yeah, we we had. So that was a thought. And when I would say, I remember one one time I was in elementary school and they couldn't believe that my father was a firefighter because obviously firefighters can't make that much money to buy you the things that uh, you have on, right? So, um, Mm -hmm. and that was one of the things that we just didn't know. Like as kids, you didn't know that the fire service provided you... A great career, a lifestyle that could be sustainable for you and your family. But um, my father must have known something or looked into something and wanted a career in the fifties when he joined the fire service. So, um, so he your, joined the fire when your, your dad
1: ahead. joined then in in, in the fifties too. I mean, African Americans were that was the one of the first. I would imagine. You know, not yeah. the first or it could be, I don't know. You, you tell me, I don't know. I don't know, yeah, I know it was thing, but I don't it, know. What I think it
2: know. was just integrated in the forties or the fifties. Okay. Um, so e- even with that, that's a whole nother story yeah. um, in terms cool. of uh, him joining the job, whether he was accepted or not and things of that nature. He went through a lot while he was in the fire service. Um, so though he's not here, I understand a lot better now the things that he could have, pretend- he went through um, and I commend them on just staying the course because him being disciplined and staying the course of provided me a lifestyle and also ushered me into my calling, which I believe is food on the stove. Cause I wouldn't know. I probably wouldn't have joined the fire service if my father wasn't, you know, if I didn't have that history of him being a firefighter.
1: Yeah. That's a huge part of the fire service, you know, is seeing your dad doing it and knowing and me being a second generation, you know, firefighter kid. You know, when my dad would I just knew my dad worked right. He worked at the firehouse. He was a firefighter. He was a uh, captain, deputy chief. Um, he worked as a, a mechanic on his days off. And I knew he was gone. I knew he was working hard. I knew he provided for us. Like you said, like you got those things, um, but they never really shared I guess the importance of the work and the money are at least in, in my household. And it sounds a little bit like in yours, it was just there. And you knew that they did it where I feel like as a dad now, you know, I'm trying to teach my kids the things that maybe my parents didn't teach me exactly. And explaining to them that, you know, we risk our lives. We make a great salary. We have very good health benefits. You know, the importance of pensions with our children, um, but it seems like your dad, just like mine, was able to impart that in you without really saying it,
2: correct? Yeah, definitely. So um, and you you said a lot that we could touch on right there in terms of pensions <laughs> and just sharing with your kids. So my dad didn't really bring work home. and I'm, the product of a second marriage from my dad, right? So I was still really young as my father was coming up the ranks in the fire department. So I don't even remember my father as a firefighter, to be honest with you. Um, my time of growing up, he was, I think at the time, maybe even a captain. I mean, he didn't really get promoted until 20 years into his career. But as I remember, he been a captain or a, uh, um, maybe even a battalion chief, as I, as I remember, and then on to deputy fire chief. But, um, he, he didn't really share much about the fire service at all. I mean, he was a big, he played a big role in the community in terms of community outreach and engagement in the fire service. So every chance he get, he would come and show his gear to the kids at schools. He would plan trips for our Um, classmates to go to the firehouse so that we can learn uh, fire prevention and things of that nature, but never did he share like the stories that people kind of glorify today. Oh, I fought this fire, I did that. That wasn't something that was shared in my household. In fact, um, if you remember the movie Backdraft, he wouldn't even let us watch that in the house. Um, And the reality was, and I understand a little bit more now, was that I asked him, I was like, why can't we watch Backdraft, Dad? You a firefighter. Um, and he was saying, because I lived it. And that goes back into now what we see a lot more, the mental health aspect of it. Yeah. I didn't know what he was dealing with then, but I'm sure at that time, they didn't have SCBA bottles and things of that nature. There were a lot of close calls for him. And I I can remember one of my father's friends telling me at a Maryland University basketball game that uh, my father had saved his life. I was a kid. I didn't really understand. And I can remember this guy was burned on like his neck and on a part of his face. And uh, yeah, it wasn't something that he really wanted to talk about or glorify. I think today we have a lot of protection centered around us that allows us to glorify the job. And I think there are people then who glorified the job. That just wasn't my dad's thing. Like um, It was I would like to definitely talk. a
1: different generation, right? Like definitely yeah. different ways to think about it. And just even, we just did a thing uh in my fire department for a young boy. So my dad and I went and we were driving like three blocks from my firehouse. And I had had a fire on that block, not a couple of years ago, but I'm driving with my dad. I've driven around the city with my dad. I can't even count how many times. And he's told me every story you can imagine. And he looks over at this house and he's like, oh, that's where I pulled Jimmy, blah, 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 out of a fire. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you, you've never, we've driven right. by this house. I, uh, who knows how- You can much- understand, you can understand. Yeah.
2: He, knows you, he knows you probably can process it a little better now than as a kid will process it.
1: Yeah, for sure. And he just never told me that story. I'm like, you've never even said that as long as I've been on the job. You've never told me you pulled a guy out of that building. Out of, like never even told me the story in general. But it's one of those things where they, they were just different people. And I think- you know, the things that we've learned that they did right, and maybe the things that we learned that they did wrong, like not having SCBAs, then getting SCBAs and not wearing SCBAs, let's say for a while, right? And now we're to the day that like, I don't picture, we're doing overhaul in SCBAs because we've learned so much more about it and we're we're trying to advance it, right?
2: Indeed, indeed. Um, So yeah. That, that's that's crucial. But also, I want to go back real quick because of the things that, though he didn't teach me so much about the fire service, there was things that I learned because that I know now that I picked up because of what he was learning in the fire service. For instance, I grew up in a smaller house in Washington, D.C., and we didn't have a huge kitchen. So there was never um, a purpose for like a broom mop, a large mop. So growing up, we had a sponge mop where you dip it in a bucket and you pull it up and it squeezes out. Um, one of those, if you can kind of picture it, it just was a sponge at the bottom of a stick and it had like this little system where you pull it up and it squeeze it. The sponge comes together and rings out all the water, right, all the solution. So that's what I used growing up and I would push it forward and kind of scrub the floor as we mop. My father would make us clean the uh, floors on Saturday mornings or whatever the case may be. It's kind Sounds of like firehouse. Sounds familiar. Kind of like the- <laughs> right, but, but when I got to the academy, and once I got to the firehouse, I realized that I didn't know how to um, mop a floor with a broom mop. So I'm mopping the floor as I would be mopping it with a sponge mop, pushing it forward. It wasn't until a captain or something walked out the room and was like, Tate, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I'm I'm mopping the floor, sir. And he was like, you're not mopping the floor. You're going over your work. And it just made me realize just how much you can pick up from this from the fire service. But also, if you don't grow up in it, you have no clue of what's really could be potentially going on.
1: Yeah, it's that matter of two of that teaching, you know, your dad was teaching you things that you didn't even know he was teaching you at the time. And then you get into a firehouse, and it's a little different than you know. And your ability to adapt and overcome is a huge part of being a firefighter. And I think it's probably a huge part part as to that's a bad one a huge part as to what led you to create on the stove right
2: indeed indeed um seeing when i walked into the firehouse the first day or even just into the department i walked in there with a different perspective right i think most people walk in and i walked in wanting to be a firefighter wanting to be an emt and wanting to serve my um my community but also being privy to my father being a coordinator of the fire department parade and him being um, really engaged in the community in terms of the fire service, it made me look at it a bit differently. I saw how the community reacted to the fire service. I I realized um, how kids get excited when they see fire trucks. So when I walked in there, I didn't just see, okay, uh, I'm running these calls today. I wanted to know what made the fire service run. So I kind of looked at it as a business. I remember being at the academy and it blew my mind when I think the chief allowed us to sit in one of the, one of the, um, executives meetings, he did it in front of all the recruits and cadets. And I heard him say, yeah, and our budget is $160 million. And I'm like, Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. slow, slow down. Like, I'm and you when you're a firefighter, you just know you get paid. You don't know all the money that it takes to actually run the department. So it made my will start to turn a little bit, um, not so much about the ins and outs of where the money was going, but just what it takes to actually make a department run. and And I've always kind of had some sort of business acumen, so, it kind of made me look at things a little bit differently. But then when I walked into the firehouse, I realized that there was a huge void—not so much amongst the public, but just amongst us. Um, so that's that's where something was birthed that that day when I was sitting in the firehouse.
1: Yeah, that that's such a big part of it too. That that folks don't realize. And as a young firefighter, you have so much thrown at you in the beginning that you're you're just there, right? You're there. You're doing what you're told. You're 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 not. Uh, you're not even resting, let's call it. You're just waiting for that fire. But what you see is some folks tend to make their career that same way. They're not seeing the bigger picture. They're not looking at the community they're serving. They're not looking at how the departments run. You know. And once you start to get into what actually goes on within your department, you know what goes in with on the fire service as a whole, and then your department and the community you serve, that's what really makes it the most rewarding thing. And it sounds to me too, like your father, like my father before us, they were those people. We just do it differently now because we have these things like social media. We have these ways to reach out. We have ways to meet people around the world and learn their stories and see what's really, it's all about. Because even when I first met you with food on the stove, I don't know. I think it took me a good three to four months to figure out what exactly it was you were doing and why you were doing it in a way <laughs>
2: hey, look, i was still probably trying to figure it out then too <laughs> i just knew that god had called me to do something and i just was like man i just jumped in the water two feet and okay. it was like i was figuring out end. and, I'm, and if i'm honest with you Pip, i'm still figuring it out right um there is no clear direction in serving people you find out and Food on the stove right now is in Washington, D.C., but we plan to be a national organization. But it may look way different in New Jersey than it does in D.C. or in New York than it does in D.C. because the way you serve people, uh, you serve them based off of what their needs are, not what you want to give them, right? And um, for, for us, yeah. that that that's important that we meet people where they are. Now, we're, we're not forcing our ideologies or what we think on people like while the fire service is a huge uh, fraternity if you want to call it culture if you want to call it there are cultures within cultures right and just if, if just because i'm a firefighter in bc doesn't make me a firefighter in new jersey right and i have to learn uh the people there the culture is different um it may be some of the some similarities there but that doesn't make me just automatically know what you need. I want to hear from the people. So I'm going to always be learning about that. Things will always be, the 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 vision will stay the same, but the mission may kind of change a little bit different as we grow.
1: And it makes so much sense to having watched your growth and, and spoken to you, you know, several times over the years and what you've been changing and what you've been doing Cause I remember in the beginnings too, and, and we I think we're gonna probably get into this, but how it was to pay it forward, like everybody threw in for the kitty, and that went to the next firehouse. Um, but then you found that everybody was picking firehouses in their battalion, so you had to make that rule yeah. that you had to go to a different battalion and pick someone on a different shift day. Type yeah, thing. Yeah. Well,
2: the, the, actually, how that went was, and it's funny. We we made them pick the firehouses that weren't in their battalion or in. Um, and on on their shift. So that whole pay it forward thing wasn't even a plan, right? It just it just happened. Okay. It happened because I took some food to a firehouse and they wanted to donate the food on the stove. And I was like, Well, I'm not even set up for donations. And they was like, Well, here, you gonna here take this money. It was actually my firehouse, Engine 11, Truck Six, Well, I really I recently just got transferred, but my former firehouse, uh, Engine 11, Truck Six, they wanted to give me money. They was like, this is cool, what you doing? Here, and they gave me some money. I was like, well, I don't really know what to do with this because I had started it by, you know, taking my overtime money and just trying to feed firefighters. So they gave me some money. I said, well, look, if you're going to give me some money, you choose the next firehouse that we're going to. It just can't be on your ship or in your battalion. Oh. So that's where the whole pay it forward thing came from. And it actually allowed them to be able to bless f- other firefighters that they normally don't work with. And then it just created this whole culture of giving. They would be sending firehouses from Northwest were send it across the river to Southeast. Southeast was send it back uptown. Uh, uptown was send it to Northeast. And then it just created this great thing that we saw this, you know, Brother and sisterhood really being done in action and in deed. and uh, it, it it was great until the pandemic hit, and then now, <laughs> then you have now to we, <laughs> yeah, go we got to go. figure out we got to figure out what to do next because we can't bring our chefs into the firehouse, we can't bring our nutritionists into the firehouse. So what do we do now? Um, but where there's a will, there's a way, and we. Um,
1: Like you said, so with food on the stove too, for the folks who aren't listening, you know, food on the stove is a great uh, name for any type of fire service organization, obviously one that deals with food, but for the folks that don't know that are listening, um, food on the stove is a very common call that firefighters around the world go to where someone leaves a pot on their stove with their burner on, whether it be high or low, Um, it usually starts to, to off gas, create some smoke. It's one of the most acrid smells that you will ever get in your turnout gear, depending on what they've left on the stove or in the oven. Um, it can happen to anyone because maybe I've been at a firehouse that we've come back from a call and we're like, What's that smell? We didn't just go to a food on the stove call because we left our stove on in the firehouse and had to deal with that. But it's a really great name, food on the stove. So just give us that kind of beginning. What got what inspired the idea to do this? Cause it's a great story and how you kind of started off.
2: Great. Um I'm just realizing as I kind of go around the country and share what food on the stove does that some people call it unattended cooking. So That's like, uh, the name.
1: like if you're if you're like, you know, you're you're the guy with the clipboard outside with the you know <laughs> the firefighter, it's unattended cooking, but it's food on the right, stove. Right, on a
2: but but they, they know what food on the stove <laughs> is. So what, what food on the stove is for us, it's a uh, 501C3 nonprofit organization that provides tools and resources to help firefighters live a healthier lifestyle through enhanced nutrition and exercise. And the reason that's so important is because 44% of all firefighters who die in the line of duty, as of 2018, die from a heart attack. Uh, there are studies that show that the life expectancy of firefighters um, are 10 years less than every other employee in America. Not only that, we're the only occupation that cooks all three meals at work. Cooks all three meals, not necessarily brings, but we cook all our meals within the firehouse. Um, So while there's a lot of great meals prepared in the firehouse, the meals aren't always good for us. So what we seek to do is help firefighters be more proactive about their health by one, educating them, and then two, simply putting healthier meals on firehouse tables. And as I shared with you earlier, Pip, the reason I'm so passionate about it, because I'm a second generation firefighter. My dad worked for DC Fire and EMS from 1956 to 1989, retired at the rank of deputy fire chief. Uh, Unfortunately, he died nine years after he retired. So when I became a firefighter 10 years ago and I saw how we were eating in the firehouse, I said to myself, this is probably why my father was so sick. And I wanted to do something to change that. Uh, So I started food on the stove, which is a double entendre, is the number one way to structure fire start due to food being left on the stove unattended.
1: Oh, I didn't so
2: know when that. I <laughs> did not know that. Okay. Yeah, number one way to structure fire start. So when when I will ride the side of truck six and we will be responding to the calls and we would get we would be going on the box alarm, we'll arrive and I will hear my captain say over the radio or another captain who was first due or another officer who was first due would say, oh, it's just food on the stove. They would say kind of nonchalantly over the radio. One day it just clicked to me and I said, you know what? I'm going to take that phrase that I keep hearing day after day after day and I'm going to use it to help firefighters pay more attention to the food that's on their stove that I believe is ultimately killing us so i went to my wife one day i was like look i said baby uh god gave me this vision to help firefighters and she was like what you gonna do and i was like man i don't really know i just know i'm supposed to give them food and she was like i was like do you mind if i take some of my overtime money at the time i was working a lot of overtime and i was like you mind if i take some of the overtime money and go to a firehouse to take them some food and she said uh, sure so I went to the farmer's market and I bought six grass-fed steaks, six stalks of broccolini, six sweet potatoes. And I delivered it to a firehouse not far from where I grew up from. It's actually one of the firehouses that my father coordinated for my class when I was in elementary school to to go to when we were young. Um, So I wanted to take them to to food. So for those who don't know the fire service, this wasn't my firehouse, right? So it's kind of weird for a rookie, still kind of young on the job, to be taking food to another firehouse. They didn't know whether I was trying to be nice or if I was trying to poison them. It was it was <laughs> kind of weird. Say, I, I, it I would be know. a
1: little like, is this a prank? What are we doing here?
2: Yeah, yeah, like, what, did Truck 6 send us, send us over here? like. But I, fortunately, I knew some people in that firehouse, and I told them that I was going to bring some food over there. Um,
0: this episode's brought to you by Fast Rescue Solutions. Fast Rescue Solutions was created with the mission to develop products and training that surpass currently accepted industry standards and that meet the operational challenges of the real world. Their mission is, always has been, and it always will be to revolutionize, rescue, and save lives. Fulfilling both the mission and the vision, the Fast Board is a disruptive technology in rescue invented by 28-year old Philadelphia Firefighter Eric Allen, who has over 20 years in the Philadelphia Fire Department Special Operations Unit. Nationally, the average time for rescuing a downed firefighter is 15 to 20 minutes using five or more members. The Fast Board has the ability to reduce that time to five minutes or less using only two to three members, which is... 500 times faster than the national average. Originally designed to get a fire down, firefighter down and out of a basement, the Fast Board has been proven effective in nearly every rescue situation. RIT, confined space, trench and ice water rescue, hazmat, mass casualty, and the list goes on and on. It's simplicity and versatility make it a game changer. I've been calling it a game changer for the last five years, and it truly is changing the way firefighter removal and rescue and civilian rescue is being done come find them at fdic Uh, they'll be at booth 13120 in the capitol corridor also this year it's known as firefighter road there's a ton of firefighter owned businesses out in that capitol corridor that's where you want to be supporting our own stop in and see the crew from the fast rescue solutions for live demos and meet the tribe their tribe There's nothing better than that. This is tried and true, brothers and sisters that are into the game, and they are making the job better. Join them Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of FDIC week from 3 to 5 in the main corridor, and you can have a cold one with them for happy hour. Come down, meet the crew, let them know who you are, and let them show you why they're changing the game. Fast Rescue Solutions, changing the game in the way we're protecting our own and the civilians we're sworn to protect.
2: But nobody really kind of understood what was going on. Like this dude just going around delivering food to firehouses. This is a quote-unquote, um, I when guess. You, what when, you,
1: when you pitch this idea, I had already been about five years into to 555 Fitness, giving out fitness equipment and grants, and you're telling me this. And I'm like, I, I don't get it. Why are you bringing people f- Ooh, did we go shopping by right. ourselves. Like, uh, right? Is, it, it was actually, I since I understood it, but I'm like, why? What's the point of this? Like, what what are you gonna do? How are you gonna make this happen? And then really got into it.
2: <laughs> yeah, so right? we, we, it grew, we it grew. It
1: grew very quickly. Correct.
2: It did. So we dropped those five meals off that day, and now today we're at about over fifty thousand meals for the fire service. Right? We've been sponsored by Giant, United Healthcare, Verizon, Host hotels, and Amazon web services because we developed the app. And what I always say, Pip, is that, um, you know, food on the stove is based on the foundation of giving. Far be it from me if I come into your firehouse with a message and not a meal. I realize that people, I understand people, right? So I understand people are more willing to listen to you when they actually know that you care about them. So you can have a ton of nutritionists, the smartest nutritionists in the world coming in, firefighters or anybody else aren't stupid they know that you're getting paid to be there and you probably could care less whether they listen or not but what i tell people um is that food on the stove was started by a 15 year old boy that missed his father my father died when i was 15 years old and it left a huge void not just in me but in our household Um, because he was the breadwinner. So when I got to the fire academy, I had to grow up fast when I was 15 because my brother had gone off to college. I'm pretty much like the man of the house now. And I had prepared myself for my father's death. So nine years out of that time, he was retired. Six of those years, he was really sick, right? And every day he had two heart attacks, um, or maybe even three, three heart attacks. He was battling with lymphoma cancer. Um, and I saw the strongest man that I knew become the weakest man that I knew. So for the, for six of those nine years, I had waited every day for him to die because I just knew it was going to happen. And it wasn't until I was 15 that, you know, I, I was at school one day and um, the teacher came in and they were, my head was down on the desk. And I remember the principal whispering in the teacher's ear and they, he was like, Mr. Tate, can I see you outside? By the time I got to the door, I was like, my father's dead. That's what I told the principal and all he could say was, I'm sorry. And I was like, okay. And I didn't even cry because I kind of prepared myself. It was almost to be expected. And when I say food on the stove was started by a 15-year-old boy, it wasn't until 15 years later, 30 years old, me joining the fire service that I realized how much I missed my father. I had never cried about him dying until I got to the academy. I think one day I was struggling and I said, uh, I was like, man, the only person that I knew that could help me through this process or really understand me going through this process was gone. And I'm like, that was the first day I got home and I cried and I said, I missed my father. I probably said I missed my-
1: It's that end that you realize, you know, and again, being a second generation kid, I've had those moments where I just called my dad and I can see you missing that. And it's even something you don't, obviously I don't realize it because I have my dad, but that how important that family structure is to us you know, yeah. in life in general, not just being firefighters, but you have that, that you need them still, even as a 30 year old man, you know, here, yeah. I am, a 40 soon to be 45 year old man still need my dad, you know, when when I have him, I'm so appreciative of that. Um, but I think what you were able to do is if, if what you're saying to me, maybe I'm a little wrong, but you channeled him to create this, correct? You channeled all those lessons.
2: Indeed. So so I'm not just fighting in in that sense. I'm not just fighting for firefighters. I'm fighting for their 15 year old son and daughter. And hopefully they don't make the same mistakes that I made um, growing up, because when I talk to you about it, it left a huge void um, because I'm always kind of transparent into how I got here. So when I talk about. Um, it leaving a huge void f- from a financial perspective, like the fire service is great in the sense that we're one of the few um, s- few occupations that still get a pension, right? Yeah. You don't really see that in the workforce anymore. Um, and while the pension is great, um, you have to look at it um, with a clear view, right? And the, the reason I say that is because everybody say, oh, I'm gonna work 30 years, I'm gonna retire, and I'm gonna give them 80% of my, my pay, and I'm gonna ride off into the sunset. But your pension determine de- depends on you staying alive, right? If you're if you pass away, and this is what happened in our case, when you pass away, your pension gets cut in half for your spouse. Most people don't even think that far down the line because they just think they're gonna be alive. But we work a job that's literally day in, day out designed to kill you. Right. Whether it's or or just beat your body. It's not it's not made for you to have the best quality of life.
1: Um, our Our dads did not understand that at all. The fire service of the 80s and I think probably in the 90s is when we really started to at least realize it or see it and then you know you had the 2000s where people started talking about it right and then 2010s let's say you had us actually doing things about it um you know and we're still trying to do things about it to make it better because like you said this job no one tells you that it's not in the in the flyer that your body is going to hurt you know it hurts wearing i don't care how big you are how small you are how good of shape you're in wearing an extra 100 pounds and climbing, crawling, squatting, moving in general is really hard, and it just punishes your body. And I know for me, the fitness end of it has helped, but it still punishes me. You know, I'm sure your fitness end and, and your nutrition and help, but you're still
2: hurting after a fire. Indeed. Indeed. So yeah, that's that's it. And we we want firefighters to live long after they retire and not be bro- broken up after they retire, right? Because right? the, the job goal. is designed... You do, you control the controllable. You can't control sleep deprivation, hazardous environments, stress of the job, but you can control your diet and exercise. So we're trying to give you the best chance to win. But if I go back to the pension and I want people to really understand this and really look into your pension is that when it gets cut in half to your, for your spouse, so you think if you got 80%, it gets cut in half to your spouse to 40%. Now all pensions don't work the same way. So I want people that kind of look into it, but even half of what you made, um, I I think any husband or wife would desire for their spouse and their family to get everything that they made, right? But that's just not how it works. It's not going to be, you're not going to have a pension if you pay out for generation to generation. Now, if you don't have a spouse, your kids don't get anything, right? So you might want to look into a 457 plan or um, 401k or something like that, whatever, whatever. Um, whatever type of plans your department offers because if you're not married and you pass away they're not going to give your pension to your kids so when my mom passes away that pension um cuts it's over it dies right it dies it dies with her right so um that's something to think about but also my mom was 18 years younger than my dad so for every year younger you think She's gonna live longer. It's kind of like insurance. It's like okay, she's 18 years younger. So I believe for every year younger, it was one percent deducted. So we went oh, okay. at that moment, eighty percent to twenty two percent. Wow. So we comes, don't, I know
1: in New Jersey we don't have that rule about the the year deduction younger. That's one that's not in my, my
2: right knowledge. because they, you'll figure that she, she you would have to pay her out for far longer than that. And it's something I need to look into, but when you look at the money and I look at her her checks, I I feel like she should probably be getting a little bit more based off his cost of living increase and things of that nature. So don't quote me on that, but I believe that's how their tier work, right? Um, So that's something to look into, but even, even still, if it was 40%, right? If you think about that, that's still a significant, cut in your household and my father was the breadwinner in our household so when I think one day I asked my mom for something and she I didn't understand the finances and how they worked in our firehouse and I mean in our firehouse and in my house and I asked my mom for something that just at that moment she wasn't able to do for me now mind you growing up my father got us everything that i needed like if i wanted tuna shoes his thing was as long as you do good in school and you play your sports i got you you don't have to worry about that but drugs was very prevalent in our community um, and i think i asked my mom for something she wasn't able to do it at the moment and me not really understanding um, i got greedy and i decided that i was going to get my own money and i it led me to make a lot of bad decisions in my youth even being arrested for drugs in my young adult life Right. You'll have um, so when I...
1: You'll have those bad decisions. No, 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 <laughs> no judgment here. Bad decisions.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, when you're in that in the community and things like that, and I, it, it wasn't that I was a bad kid. I just needed my father at the moment. I needed that guidance. I was 15 years old. I needed some direction. I needed somebody to put their foot in my tail and say, hey, we're not going to do that because my father was a disciplinarian. So it was more of a thing of I was just trying to find my way and um that was the easiest route to go so thanks be to god i'm a i was able to kind of um you know reroute and get my focus back on track but and join the fire service because ultimately i wanted to be a sustainable lifestyle i wanted to be able to provide for my family and um the opportunity to join the fire service came and i joined and i think Going into that, it allowed me to um, utilize my gifts and talents to create a healthier fire service through Food on the Stove. Which is
1: amazing. And I have to just jump back because this is something I've wanted to do as a host. And I have not had the opportunity to say something like, boys and girls, the boys and girls out there listening, when you saw the title Food on the Stove, you did not think you were going to get a pension lesson in this episode. (laughs) And you just did. And it was very good. And, and the takeaway for this, and it's not just for firefighters, it's for everyone, is you need to be your best advocate. And you need to look into these things like your pension benefits. Just because you have a pension doesn't mean you know everything about it. And they're not willing to tell you everything about it either. You know, and And, and firefighters, police officers, anyone with a pension worldwide have been fighting to learn everything about it. And that's a big thing. You know, those numbers that dropped for your mom, you know, and especially with cost of living raises now, a 19, 22% of a 1989 pension in 2023 is not a lot of money.
2: Right. Uh, right. How much
1: more gas costs? I mean, we just play a game. Gas costs. 72 cents in 1989 and now it does not anymore we'll just say that so those things she does
2: pretty she does pretty well which it's i'm sure she's grateful for my father being a chief in the fire service so for sure um she she uh she she's um she's okay i will say that uh, so we're grateful. We're grateful for pensions and we're grateful for the fire service. But I will say this, the for everybody that's listening, the best way to maximize your pension is by investing in your own health, right? Because if my father would have known that he, in order to maximize his he had to stay alive, invested as much in his his health as he did his pension or compliance. Because in order to maximize it, you have to be alive and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to get you to live to start paying a little bit more attention to your health so that after you retire you the best shape possible you're fueling your body possible this is not just about fueling your body while you're on the job this is so that you can live long beyond your retirement because if you work for 30 years we want you to live 30 years after
1: and we had we had a little bit of an audio issue. I think you froze a little bit, but the audio kept coming through so you can understand everything. But I'm just gonna reiterate what Jonathan said just in case it's there. It's that one of the points of an organization like Food on the Stove is not just to help you today, not just to help you tomorrow, but to help you for the rest of your life. And I think when it comes to any health and wellness topic, whether it be nutrition, uh, fitness, uh, mental health, You know, this isn't the quick fix. There's no quick fix out there. It's not going to fix you overnight, but it's the lifestyle that you have to live for your entire life. And I know when I had um, Sarah on, on episode 12, we talked about a lot about her changes and her lifestyle changes. And it's just something that I think with the size up that we're continually making size ups of ourselves. And we have to make sure we're making these decisions for our life um and hopefully your audio is better now so let's see your video is can you hear me now I can I can hear you just got a little like cutting in and out but it, it's all right I got you all right cool cool um so, so yeah. with, with food on the stove too here wait let's let's get back into that because you started by bringing the meals yourself and then that's kind of when I met you but you were also started by bringing in local chefs and sourcing local ingredients And let's talk about that little stage of it. And then we can kind of jump into pandemic post pandemic, right? Because I think that for me is like my favorite stage. Like I wanted you to come to my firehouse and get one of our local chefs and just do this because I thought it was going to be great. And we tried to make that work and it it just didn't work.
2: Yeah, we, we started out real small, man, kind of grew real fast. So like I said, we're still trying to figure it out. But yeah, we, as I said to you before, far it for me to come into a firehouse and share a message at the meal. I think one thing that helps food on the stove is that I understand um, the fire service from a firefighter's perspective, because I've been in the firehouse, I've spent time running the calls and things of that nature. So um, I knew just coming in and and, sharing a message wasn't going to be the thing so in my mind I, I live in a creative space I said you know what I want to turn the firehouse into a restaurant because I think that will gain their attention a little bit more so I'm a brand chef in here and he's going to prepare the meal for them but also we're going to teach a class on how to read the food label which I believe is the foundation of eating healthier, just paying more attention to the things that you're putting into your body. So my brother, who is really the inspiration behind even my health and wellness journey, he lost over 200 pounds, um, and he became a health and nutrition coach. So I would have him come in and teach the firefighters. I would share my vision of food on the stove. He will come in and share the, the course of how to read a food label with the firefighters. And we were, as he was teaching, the chef would prepare the, mess, prepare the meal for him. And after, at the conclusion of it, we would feed him this under 700 calorie meal, sometimes a little bit more, depending on um, what we were doing. But we would have everything from salmon to um, these fancy plates of uh, sometimes even three course meals, like. Uh, shrimp salad to start and then uh a roasted chicken with carrots and other things so um yeah it was it was a great time and we were able to run through a few firehouses like that until the pandemic hit and i think firefighters really enjoyed as much as they love to cook on their own and it builds camaraderie amongst the firehouse it was that one day where somebody was serving them and i think it felt it felt good to them. Because at, at, at the end of the day, I don't care what you do. You can say all day, this is my job. I want it's it feels good when somebody's serving you. And at that moment, we were able to tap into the humanity of who they were as firefighters. Not as firefighters, but as as people. Like you have your uniform on, but we're not seeing you as firefighters. We're seeing you as people right now. So whether That's you're captain a captain really or chief
1: such a great thing that you just said there because again it 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 harkens into that message we are just people right we're firefighters by choice but we are really people our bodies are are the same as everybody else's bodies you know and i think it's going to be again another another thing with the size up with the guests that i have that we're going to keep talking about this and we need to take care of that so i did not mean to interrupt you but it was such an important thing you said there that we're just people we need to eat we need the fuel But we don't need 1,400 calories at dinner. We need 700 calories at dinner because we have 700 calories at lunch and probably 1,000 calories. A firehouse breakfast is no less than 1,000 calories, even if you look at the labels and do it right, if you're having a good firehouse breakfast.
2: And that's where portion control comes in. So when I first got into the firehouse, it was – I, I'm not going to say I don't eat pork. I just don't cook it in the house as much. I love, I love ribs. Uh, if somebody's cooking them at a cookout, I'm definitely getting some. If I'm at a barbecue spot, I'm definitely getting some ribs. Um, I love brisket. I love all the food, right? But when I first got into the firehouse, uh, and I'm sure they probably cooked this up in New Jersey as well, uh, sausage gravy. That's a firehouse staple almost. It's, uh, I don't know if y'all make it up there. It's like sausage. We're too north for gravy. that. I know
1: what it is. We're too north for that, though. I'm just going yeah, to okay, too that. <laughs> See, that's
2: where cultures change. So where, where I was coming in the firehouse, it was these sausage gravy with biscuits. And don't get me wrong, it tastes good, but it's extremely heavy, right? And then when you and when you're doing clean up and you're scooping all of it out it's just a bunch of oil sitting at the bottom of the pot and i was just like man this this isn't uh this isn't good and i already had some type of uh thought of, i was already eating healthy so then for lunch we would be doing hot dogs and hamburgers i'm like hot dogs and all hamb- oh, cold cuts and i'm like okay all right we're doing this and then um dinner was pork chops and i'm like dang i'm getting porked out in here i don't (laughs) eat this much pork but but when you think about it the misconception is that firehouse meals are funded by tax dollars by some of the general public and when you're buying your food yourself for 15 people you're trying to make it affordable as possible so that everybody can eat what's the cheapest thing in the grocery store pork pork and processed foods Um, so, you know, every now and then we'll get a little fancy, we'll get steaks, we'll get chicken. I think now it's a lot better. We've gotten raises and the meal fund has increased, but when I first joined the milk fund was $10 and it's 13 people at my firehouse. How do you feed 13 people on $130 that my wife and I can go out to dinner tonight and spend $130 just at dinner alone with appetizers, two meals alone and maybe a drink or two so 150
1: for two is not my wife and i can do that
2: (laughs) yeah 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 so that that's that's commonplace so you you can see how we're trying to stretch it as much as possible um at that time so what I what I noticed is is that we have to get firefighters to start seeing food differently. And the way I saw that was by humanizing it, bringing the chef into them. But also, also while we're serving them, I knew they would be willing to listen a little more because they're going to get some a free meal out of this, a free chef prepared meal. Um, but also throw. Uh, share with them on crayon level, what it means to eat healthy. And we don't go into a firehouse saying, Hey, don't eat this. Don't eat that. It's more about what can we add to your plate? That's healthier. Not so much removing something from your plate. And as you start feeling different, we believe that things will be removed. And the more that, you know, things will begin to be removed. So we're not coming in from a scientific perspective, but just a very grassroots level, um, crayon level to say, Hey, um, this is how you're going to feel if you eat this. This is how you're going to feel if you don't eat this. And this is what help. This helps your body. This can potentially hurt your body.
1: That is a total fire department t-shirt, by the way. I'm just going to throw that out there because we talked about apparel, you and I, in our conversations in the past, but like crayon level for firefighters, that, that's where it's at. <laughs> like that, like you come in at crayon level. I love it. I've never heard anyone describe that. It is that I've heard a lot of things, but I'm going to steal it. I may, I may put it on a t-shirt and we'll make it to the food on the stove. I promise Here set it. on the size up right now, if we make this t-shirt crayon level for firefighters, but it, it's a, good, it's a really good concept because again, too, I don't want to be a nutritionist. I don't want to know every little fact. I just need to know the basics. And it's easy when it comes to nutrition to make poor decisions, you know, whether that be portion control. It's like when they say with portion control, you know, use your fist. That is the easiest portion control thing. Like, if you are eating, listen. If, if if I'm out and I get a steak and it comes out the size of my fist, we're gonna have a problem, right? <laughs> right. That, that's for sure. Especially on the price. Depending, I shouldn't say that. Depending on the cut of meat. But yeah. when you're looking at the firehouse and you're making your plate, you know you want to make sure you have those fist size portions because it's so easy to just keep scooping that sausage gravy and biscuits onto your plate or your bowl and the next thing you know you're at an 1800 calorie meal without even you don't need to know the facts of it all i can just tell you if it's more than your fist it's way more calories than you need to be eating at that meal
2: indeed like funny thing i I never paid attention to calories and even now we don't so much tell people pay attention to calories we tell people um your body can burn chemical, I mean, burn calories, it can't burn chemicals. So we want to know the quality of the food that you're eating, right? If if it's on the back of the label and you are, you can't pronounce the name on that, you might not want to use it. Like you wouldn't just put uh, anything in your body, um, well, maybe you would, but if you break down those ingredients, hydro something chloride, this, that, this and that, you should ask why that's in my chicken nuggets, right? If if you were to make chicken nuggets, you would just probably use chicken seasoning and breading. But if you buy chicken nuggets or go to a fast food spot and it has 60 ingredients, ingredients, you should ask why. Um, your body can recognize um, chicken and it can recognize breading and these natural things, but it can't really recognize the chemicals. So um, we don't know over the long haul what that could potentially do to your body. So we want you to pay attention to calories. Uh, it's funny because when one of my favorite um, restaurants growing up, I won't say the name because we never badge restaurants, right? Okay. I, I think everything is okay in moderation. Yes. But You'll know what restaurant I'm talking about based off this appetizer. I used to eat this Bloomin' Onion when I was young. I used to love the Bloomin' Onion, right? And it wasn't until probably a few years ago when they started putting calories on the food, on the, on the menu, that I realized that that was about 2,800 calories alone. And I could eat a whole blooming Onion to myself, and that was the appetizer. But I was a kid; I can burn it off really fast. But if you're still, if you're an adult and you're doing that, um, we might want you to scale back a little bit. Share that blooming onion with the family and don't eat the whole thing yourself. He said that. That's a a whole day's worth of calories right there.
1: That's a whole day and some more for some people too as well. I, I didn't know it was that much, but I've never. I don't think I've ever taken down a Bloomin' Onion by myself, even in my best days. I don't think I could have done that. But, <laughs> but that, and it goes into the cooking process. And there's just so many things. And I think it's great that you're out there, again, not bashing restaurants, not telling people to count calories, just trying to educate at that crayon level of how you can maximize your life, right, by eating healthy. And you've done a great job of it with food on the stove. I've watched you grow. Your social media has some some great info that you can always find. But I want to talk about, two before we run out of time here, because I know your time is, is limited today, what you have coming up. Because there's this thing, and I don't know who invented it, and maybe you do, but somehow May the 4th, which is really Star Wars Day, if you're a geek, it's May the 4th be with you Day. And it kills my social media because I don't know which way to go on this day. Right, I'm this fire service social media guy, but <laughs> it's really Star Wars Day. They made it into uh, International Firefighters Day, uh, but what you were doing in DC is, is you turned it into International Firefighters Weekend. So May fourth to the seventh, right of 2020. Three is the year we're in, so this uh, this is coming out right before. But I know you're planning this to be an annual event. But just talk a little bit about what you got going on uh, in two weeks here.
2: Oh man, cool man! So I'm excited. So I think I can't remember the exact year. It's in my press release, but a while ago, uh, a young lady in Australia started International Firefighters Day um, on May 4th, and every every year we we uh, celebrate it. I think some people celebrate it, but Uh, Within the fire service, but it kind of goes on as just a regular day, something that we can put on social media, and people say, "Hey, Happy International Firefighters Day." But I'm really about putting word, putting actions to those words, right? And -hmm. I think firefighters deserve more than just a day, so I decided that we're gonna make it a whole weekend and a weekend of events. So we'll have a series of events going on in DC from May 4th through the 7th, Um, and our Mm -hmm. goal is to make this an annual conference. One of the things that I realized since I've been privileged and fortunate enough to kind of travel um, and share, travel around the country and share food on a stove, is that uh, when I get into these rooms, uh, that our jurisdiction in terms of DC and this region isn't highly represented. Most of the conferences that I go to, unless it's probably like an FBIc or something like that, the bigger conferences, but like the smaller conferences, uh, there's a lot of good information shared and it's not a lot of people from this region going. So when you go, when I go to Florida, it's mostly Florida departments. Right. Um, and I feel like also I'm one of the younger, I'm from the younger generation of firefighters that are there. And my goal is to to bridge the gap between those who have been in the fire service for a lengthy amount of time, how do we get those that younger generation engaged in some of this great information that's being shared on these weekends? Because typically we don't go to these conferences and things, right? Um, one of the other things that I noticed, too, is that um, a lot of times I will be one of the few Black people in the room. And it made me realize that only 6% of the fire service is African-American. Um, and, and my goal is to how do, how do how do I share this space with other people because it's great information being shared. How do I get some of the people who look like myself into this into this room, black, white, Hispanic, whoever, how do I share this information that's being shared so that you can get into the room and get some of of what they have, but also get you, a seat at the table if not a seat at the table my, my belief is that if you don't have a seat at the table you can build your own and this is me building my own table inviting everybody to to say hey we can build something like this here in washington dc and everybody can take a part of it so on thursday we have um, a seminar with some great speakers we have chief mark bayshaw chief tony kelleher chief tony carroll Um, Chief Bayshore used to be, he's the retired chief from Prince George's County Fire EMS. Uh, Chief Tony Kelleher is the deputy fire chief of the training academy in D.C. Fire EMS, Um, doing an amazing job with the training academy here in D.C. Chief Tony Carroll is a retired battalion chief from D.C. Um, He is uh, now the deputy in Louisa County. We have Megan Lots from Fairfax who does nutrition. We have Patrice Webb speaking on mental health awareness, and we also have Sheena Sadam talking about uh, first-time home buying for firefighters. So just a wealth of resources, everything kind of catered towards firefighters, and that is on International Firefighters Day. And at the conclusion of that, we have a happy hour going on. Friday, we're doing, and I think you'll like this, Fip, is that we're having a midnight run. It's called a midnight five check. I like to it's sleep called,
1: at midnight. I don't like to run at midnight. <laughs> I like to sleep at midnight, buddy.
2: But see, that's, that's the thing, right? So the name of the run is called One Run After Midnight. And as you know, we call our dispatch calls runs. At least here in D.C. we do. So to stand in solidarity with firefighters around the country, we're having a community take a midnight run. Right, They're going to see what it feels like to be up at midnight to get a call and take a run. So they're going to do a midnight 5K. Some firefighters are going to join us. So we're getting a great response on that. So we're excited about that. I going to bang why we my head
1: against the wall. Why didn't I think of this? Like,
2: <laughs> like, like, you're a genius, man. Go ahead, keep going, genius. But so, so every year we hope this grows and grows and grows. And while we can't change the call volume, we can educate people on how to utilize 911 or just other resources that are available to them that will make you not have to use 911, um, mm-hmm. so that firefighters won't have to get up during the night or EMS personnel won't have to get up during the night and possibly can get some sleep for that day. But also, like I said, we're a given organization. So to be able to connect with uh, pillow sponsors or betting companies and things like that so that we can get, um, firefighters and EMS personnel, better pillows, uh, better sheets, better things. So, we want to give. That's the end. Of, that's what we want to do with that. And then Saturday is our Food on the Stove annual fundraiser, Dress Blue. As you know, we call our Class A's uniforms, Dress Blues sometimes, or uh, Full Dress uniforms. So the theme of this event is not for you to wear Dress Blue. It's just an all-blue cocktail-style event. So blue suit, blue tie, blue dress. We're inviting the community to come hear stories um, about centered around the fire service. Uh, we, uh, we have a panel of women sharing their experience in the fire service. So we have everybody from an assistant fire chief here in DC to a probationary firefighter to share their experience. Um, I'm sharing about food on the stove and then a friend of mine, uh, two friends of mine, Joe Morgan, who was burned on the Cherry Road fire here in DC in 99. He's sharing his story. He was burned on 65% of his body and given a 5% chance to live. He's sharing his story alongside Lisa Phillips, who is the wife of Anthony Phillips, um, who died in that fire. And what we want to do out of that conversation is humanize the fire service to let people know that when things like this happen to firefighters, it's not just, just them that go through it. It's their families and their uh, their spouse, their spouse and their families as well. So we want to talk about Joe's healing process from a physical standpoint, but also Lisa's healing process from a mental and emotional standpoint and this isn't a sad story that we're telling this is a story of resilience how they've been able to move forward after this incident and uh, what they're doing to impact the fire service on a greater scale so we're excited about that we're going to have food open bar live entertainment It's just going to be amazing an amazing night for some inspiration and entertainment and we hope to do this every year and it's sponsored by our great friends at amazon
1: that's amazing I mean that's three days. So, so you said a lot there, and I was trying to write things down as fast as I could. Oh, right? Oh, got no Sunday
2: is firefighter by, by appreciation brunch. Forgot about that at Farmers and Distillers. So we closed the night with a brunch. close the uh, weekend with a brunch at Farmers and Distillers. Will
1: there be sausage gravy?
2: No, oh, won't be any sausage. I'm not, I'm gravy. Not but, but they have I'm not some coming. great food. <laughs> 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 they have some great food. So, and they they give for every reservation that is made, they give food on the stove ten dollars so they they have been a gracious partner of us, a great partner for us, and they have been gracious enough to make that donation to us so that we can continue to put healthy meals on firehouse tables.
1: It's so awesome because you you put so much together for a weekend, right? Where we see a lot of fire conferences out there. You know they do a day. you know they may do two days. They usually have a night social event. And I love that you put all these things together. And I, I can't wish you nothing but luck and, and success with this. And and now I'm like, man, am I gonna drive to DC for a midnight run to take a midnight run? Like, I think I'm off. I gotta look, like. But just all that, it, it's just such a good thing. And I know some of the speakers that you have. I read the bios and I read what they're 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 talking about on the first day. And I think that's key too that you're able to put all those things together. Um, down in Florida, they have some pretty well-known health and safety conferences. Um, they also so great. have well-known fire conferences. It's a matter of trying to mix them. And it's great that you're doing it with, with international firefighters weekend, which you've just totally hijacked from the poor girl in Australia. You should send, send out okay. to her that you've changed her day to a weekend. Um, and then we're going to see how this one works for sure. But it, it's all those things. And even the midnight run, like literally I'm banging my head on the wall. Like, why didn't I think of this?
2: I think it's going to be good, man. It's something that, uh, like I said, I live in a creative space and try to see. I, I want to bridge the gap between the community, the firefighters and the community that they serve and give the community a better understanding of just while you see them in uniform, these are people, right? And they need your help just as much as you need theirs. And I want to connect the dots for that. And I think with this weekend, we have some uh, a series of events that allows them to connect with the firefighters. Who serve the community every day so um, next year we hope to do workshops every day and do these different events at night and we hope to have people fly in town we'll have everything at one central location and uh also on may 6 is the anniversary of uh lieutenant kevin mccray who was the hundredth member to die in the land, line of duty i want to say it's his eight-year anniversary so that day we're actually um, Doing the first the inaugural Lieutenant Kevin McCray leadership award which will be going to present it to his son who is a wagon driver at the same firehouse his father last served in so every year we'll be giving this award away and we'll have people um, nominate different people and it's a way that we can kind of keep his legacy and name alive on that May 6th date. so it's a lot happening in that, in that weekend so we're excited with
1: you. I can't keep up with it. There's just no- and I don't
2: think I can keep up with myself. I just get ideas and I just go with it. Like I said, I'm I'm figuring it out as I go. So I don't know how none of this is going to turn out. We have gotten a good response, but I hope it turns out well. All things will turn out well, but I'm learning as I go. I've never done a weekend conference before, but we're going to figure out how, we're going to make it work. That's and- it. um,
1: That's what we do as firefighters though, right? We make it work. And, and that's yeah, we'll a big part of it. You know, you go to this unknown, right? You go into an unknown emergency, and you make it work. And uh, seeing you put that hustle behind food on the stove, it it, it makes me almost jealous in a way that, uh, you know, I got to work harder. I got to keep up with, with Jonathan Tate here and make these things happen.
2: Look, collaboration over competition. I think we better, we're better together. Yes, sir. Right? We- we are better together so this isn't a a food on the stove thing this is a fire service thing so that's why i'm grateful for people like you uh, allowing me on this platform where we can connect and other people can hear but this isn't about uh food on the stove getting to shine this is about how can we connect all our resources to better help our brothers and sisters in the fire service so I'm all about five 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 5 5 Fitness, I'm all about PIP, I'm all about wh- whoever whoever's about firefighters, right? I'm not, we're not gonna talk around the people that we're trying to serve. We really out here trying to help them. So um, yeah, I am I'm wanna connect with, with everybody in the fire service so we can make it a better place for all, the next generation of firefighters. My son keep talking about he gonna put out a fire and I'm not sure if I'm with that yet or not, so.
1: <laughs> he's only four, he's got some time, he's only four.
2: Yeah, he's he's only four, But uh, if he is, if that is something that he decides to do, we want to make it a better place. I want to make it a better place for him. I want to make sure that he's getting the best meals possible, too. Nice. Well,
1: listen, you you that collaboration over over uh, over competition is going to be the name of this this episode. And that's a mic drop moment to finish this off. But before we end here, where can the folks find you and food on the stove?
2: Uh, you can find us food on the That's foodonthestove.org. That's f O O D O N T H E S T O V E dot O-R-G. You can find us on Instagram, Food on the Stove D C, Facebook, Food on the Stove, Twitter, Food on the Stove underscore.
1: This man has done that before. He said those. He rattled them out like the true professional he is. Jonathan, man. I cannot thank you enough and wish you the most luck coming up with the whole conference. I know it's going to turn out great. I cannot wait to be able to be a part of it. Um, maybe this year. I, I'm not making any promises here, but I'm going to try well, to get we're,
2: going, we're definitely going to have you as a speaker next year. So oh, we, go ahead and get your, get, get your stuff ready because uh, we're we'll, we'll figuring out here. the booking arrangements and everything like that. We want to have you down.
1: I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. So thank you for the time. Thank you to everyone listening in today to the size up by national fire radio. As always, thank you to our sponsors. I'm Pip and we will see you next time. Yo, that was straight epic. Even, even when your audio messed up a little bit, you could, I could still hear you and I didn't want to stop you because you were on a roll. I'm hoping Sebi can fix that. That's my audio guy. Um. But, dude, you, you dropped some knowledge bombs, man. I got notes to cut this up and promote and ideas. and Man, that's what's up. Let, let's, uh, I'm right there with, the, again, the cooperation thing and, and working together. You know, like we said, we tried to do stuff. It just hasn't happened. you know, 555 five, five is – honestly, I don't think it's going to go – we're not going to go the same way we've gone. Um, right. Because I'm tired of giving fitness equipment to people that just – want fitness equipment and i yeah. don't know how to make those like you were able to make those changes because you were there right you right. saw what was happening but when we're just giving this stuff to random folks you don't know what they're doing with it dude and and the unappreciativeness has just gotten worse as an easy way to yeah. put it someone yeah. literally got their three thousand dollars worth of fitness equipment and emailed us where's the rest
2: what yeah yeah that's crazy yeah how about that? that's man? crazy
1: we didn't buy fitness equipment because you told us we won, and we thought we were getting everything we asked for. And in, in everything that we've done, it's been very honest what we give away and how we do it. Yeah, no, right. Here's the rest. That's great. More so was coming,
2: so it, it, that, it. That sense of entitlement is crazy.
1: Fucking killer. And the cops going to the cops never help cops. Just just stay with
2: fire and EMS
1: because the cops are the. <laughs> I'm going to stop, re- stop recording this on Zoom now just because to- <laughs> I did do that. But let me listen. I- 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 National Fire